The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 7, Run Silent, Run Deep. Here with me. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. John was still sore all over, and not just from the jump seat on the Echo Freight flight that he had caught back to Atlanta. The latest op had been... interesting, to say the least. More than anything, he was just glad that it was over. He was looking forward to getting patched up, to checking on the neighborhood, to a cold beer, and, of course, Sarah. It still amazed him how things had turned out with the two of them. John, who had spent the last few years on the run and making sure that he had no personal connections, had fallen in love with an angel. He hadn't used the L word yet, but he knew it was there. Somewhere deep down, he also knew the truth about Sarah. His rational mind wouldn't allow him to admit that to her. Either it'd be an affront to his pride as a devout unbeliever. The world has gone insane, all right, and I'm right there with it. First things were first, since he had taken more than the usual battering on this mission. He had been ordered to check in with the medbay and get himself looked at. He was starting to feel weak again, too. Just another thing to worry about. This nonsense has been going on too long. Time to bite the bullet and have Yadwiga figure out this deal with my energy levels and why my abilities have been up and down. Can't have another weak moment during an op. Not that he was looking forward to it, but, oh well. That was part of the job. Get banged up, get poked, and probed. He straightened his back and headed for sickbay. Yadviga was doing a good job of keeping the emotion out of her face. All except for her eyes. It helped that she was a beautiful woman, and not the modern, so skinny as to be sick supermodel sort of pretty. She was classically beautiful and very Russian. The commissar was a bit of a caricature sometimes with her zeal and heavy-handedness. Still, there were times when she seemed more old-fashioned cop of any nationality than particularly Russian. But the Soviet screamed Russian with her every move, even in the maternal yet slightly stern way she cared for the personnel of the CCCP. And her eyes said that the news wasn't good. It looked to John like she was about to pronounce sentence on a patient in triage, rather than reporting what he had expected to be a dull and routine summary of his physical. John didn't stop looking at her while he buttoned up the top of his jumpsuit. You're awfully quiet, Doc. What's the prognosis? You have been coughing blood, yes? She didn't wait for his nod. This is not something trivial, comrade. Da or niet? Again, she didn't wait, and she must have seen the ascent in his eyes. This is the sign that things are being too far. You have great damage in your lungs. You do not smoke. You have no tuberculosis. You should not have such damage. And it is new. I then take tissue sample. With primitive equipment as Moscow allows us, she grimaced, is looking to me that cells are being in apoptosis. Ischemic damage is resulting, thus the much coughing, dizziness, lack of appetite, disorientation, and bouts of weakness. Is being why your power goes... 
she made a little poofing motion with her fingers. I do not know what is being caused this, but is fatal. She took a deep breath. Without knowing cause, is being no cure. If is a cure possible, is nothing I am studying, and is nothing in conventional medicine can being help. John felt sick to his stomach. This had been going on for a while, but the symptoms hadn't been anything he couldn't explain away due to the aggressive and often violent nature of his new job. Not willing to give in to the shock and slowly twisting horror in his belly, John seized on the word he hadn't understood as a possible handle, something that would show him a way out of this. What's this, uh, apoptosis? Your cells are being suicide she said bluntly. Scents are always being died, da, but not like this. Too many and just disintegrate from inside. This is making big damage and is happening all over you, but most in lungs. No cells, no oxygen. No oxygen? Her eyes were sad, but there was nothing in them to give him the escape route he wanted out of this. So there's nothing that can be done about it? We don't have any pills, medicines, or surgeries or anything for this? Apoptosis and ischemia? Yet in conventional medicine. You are metahuman. That is not always being positive. He mulled this over for a moment. Well, who do we know that's the best with metahumans, then? Echo, she sighed. In Comrade Bella is being head of Echo Medica. She is yet doctor, but... But I trust her. And that's enough for me right now. John stood up from the examination table he was sitting on. He sighed heavily, turning himself to face Soviet. Yadwiga, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to keep this under wraps until I can talk to Bella. He held up his hands quickly to cut off the protest she was already beginning to voice. I need to be sure. There's still a lot of fight that needs doing, and I don't want to get pulled off of duty based on maybes. Reluctantly, she nodded. Just think and remember, your comrades are being depending on you. You are also not wanting to be weakest link that fails when moment is worst. More fear. That had already happened almost a couple of times. Fighting against Ubermensch when the Thulian suicide squad attacked the HQ, and during the battle with the Rebs. The next time. The next time would probably be the last time. He was never that lucky, and he'd already been beating the odds just by staying alive as long as he had. I'll make sure it doesn't come to that. Thank you, comrade. John sat on the roof of his squat. He wasn't drinking, just thinking. Never can catch any breaks, can I? No matter what he did now, he was screwed. End of the line with no more hands to play. Discounting Bella being able to come up with something amazing and unheard of, John was going to die. How does a man cope with that knowledge? He could slink off somewhere, a place without people, and die alone like a dog. It'd be the simplest and probably least painful thing for him to do, at least physically. 
He might even be able to stretch out his time by a few months, maybe a year given the far above average plumbing his body had acquired. He wouldn't suffer as much, except for the state of his soul, or at least what passed for whatever his soul was. Not that long ago, that was what he would have done without a second thought. But now? He'd be abandoning everything again. He'd be deserting the CCCP, his neighborhood, the world. He'd be deserting Sarah. That thought was almost unbearable now. Everything was on the brink and had been for a long time. He was just one warm body. But everyone counted in the fight against the Thulians. Giving up wouldn't do. That itch would still be there. It had been years since he'd been in action, doing what he was best at, fighting and projecting force in places most folks would never want to go. His cause had almost always been just, and goddammit, right. He had that again now. It was precious to him, in a way, almost as much as freedom and life itself were. He was alive again. That settles it, he said to no one in particular. John looked up at the stars. They were a little more washed out now that electricity was stable in this part of the city. The CCCP and some effort from Echo had seen to that. It was still beautiful, and John felt thankful. Wonders abound. So, I'll fight. Besides, it's always okay to punch a Nazi. In the locker room at Echo HQ, Bella stripped off her sweaty, bloody Echo uniform and threw it down the laundry chute. Outwardly, she was calm. Inwardly, she was both satisfied and fuming. Fuming because she'd had to work with Black Snake. Oh, they weren't calling themselves Black Snake, but she had recognized some faces. Same old psychopathic bastards working for a new firm. And it had been a terrible temptation to give every one of those sociopathic bastards an aneurysm right on the spot. She'd considered it in the case of the squad leader, and rejected the idea only because it could be directly traced to her. So she couldn't lay them all out by exploding their brains— but she hadn't just let things go, either. She was getting better at that fine control with every day, and during one brush-up against the leader, she'd tweaked him. It wouldn't show up immediately. And if anyone did even the deepest of investigation, it would look like a mini-stroke. But from now on, he was going to have slight muscle weakness and trembling on his right side, and a little vision degeneration in his right eye. Just enough so that he was never again going to be able to pot-shot people's pets for fun and he'd never be a sniper again. As for the rest, she'd taken a leaf from Sarah's book. She'd messed with their memories. Even sociopaths had things they didn't want to think about, and from now on they were going to be revisiting those things every night in their nightmares. Ethical? Debatable. She was trying to prevent future harm by doing the least damage to a bunch of pure, unadulterated bastards. Necessary? Nat would have arranged an ambush of criminals to take them all out if she knew half of what I know about them. At the very least, if CCCP did manage to kill them, they'd have been off the street for a while. But we are not judge and executioners, not even for scum. But there was some smugness, too. Because the rest of the meta-team and the echo-support ops that had been on the run had been as disgusted as angry as she was. 
Vicky had warned them all that this was going to happen, that bad pennies would keep turning up until they were out of circulation, and a lot of people just hadn't believed her. Now they would. Ethical? Hell no. Necessary? No doubt. If Sarah was to be believed, and Bella had no reason to doubt the angel, a little mental rummaging was a small thing set against preventing apocalypse to come. Shades of Grey. She just had to hope Sarah would continue to help her have a conscience, and to never think any of this was right because it was justified. It was still wrong. The good of the many, she muttered to herself, as she dashed into the shower to scrub off the stink of the op. It had been ugly. Sure, the people squatting in that old factory had no right to be there. And yes, they were criminals, and some of them had been trafficking with Thulians, among others. And yes, there were unlicensed metas among them, but all that put together didn't justify. At least no one had died. Not that the Blacksnake boys hadn't tried. She came out clean in body, if not in spirit, and pulled her hair up into a ponytail, going over the mental checklist of things to be done. Run down to J.M.'s hood and check on some people. Check in with Bulwark via Vicky. Check in with Nat via Vicky. It amused her to no end that despite Verdigree's considerable genius and immense resources, he never had had any idea of exactly how much Vicky could do, nor had he or any of his underlings managed to crack her network. And she had no doubt that somewhere out there they were trying. Vicky, raging paranoid that she was, was sure that sooner or later he would finger her for the one that had ruined his game. But he didn't have any magicians on the payroll, either. Until he did, Bella was pretty sure Vicky was safe. Her calm beeped with the CCCP sequence. She checked it, expecting to see something from Nat. And frowned, seeing the ID. Wasn't J.M. out of town? She answered it before it went to voice. Yo, Johnny! Bella, got an hour? I need words. She was good at reading voices, even his. Something was wrong. Any thought of putting him off went out the window. Now? Where? People's Park, came the reply. That was the combination community garden and playground CCCP had put together in his hood once the crap in a section of the destruction corridor had been cleared away. Well, eaten. It had kept Chug in meals for several weeks. Chug went there regularly to play with the squirrels, usually under Bella's or Upir's supervision. Five minutes, she replied. She didn't bother to change out of her civvies. She was less conspicuous in the park that way anyway. Well, as less conspicuous as anyone with blue hair and skin could be. She sat down on a bench next to the play gym made with scavenged pipe and waited. John was good, but Bella's telepathy was better than any sneaking skills taught on the face of the earth. Still, she didn't hear or see him until he was sitting down next to her. "'We have to stop meeting like this,' she said laconically. "'My husband is beginning to suspect.' "'Sorry, comrade. Didn't know that Papa Smurf was that cagey.' John did his level best to appear casual and relaxed. He stretched out, hanging his arms over the backrest of the bench. But Bella could feel the steel-taut tension running through him. He was, by her father's favorite phrase, wound tighter than a banjo string. 
and despite everything going on, J.M. hadn't been that wound up for quite some time. Which meant her first impression was right. Something was really, really wrong. Much as I know you love me, you don't ask me to a clandestine meeting in the middle of the day because you want to know if I want wheat or rye on my Reuben. She gave him the look. Spit it out, or I'll touch you and find out anyway. So he told her. Told her what little he knew anyways. Verbatim for what Jadwiga had said with the scant amount she'd been able to piece together from the ancient medical gear that Moscow supplied them with. And that's where I'm at. The doc isn't going to tell anybody until I've met with an expert in the field of metahuman medicine. Namely you. She wrestled for a moment with a viper's nest of conflicting emotions. Anger, despair, frustration. She wasn't going to help him if she couldn't think clearly. I'm only a paramedic, Johnny, she said carefully. Yeah, you're a paramedic. A paramedic with first-hand experience in a field that most med school grads won't touch because it's not all that high-paid, unless you're with Echo. You're head of Echo Med, so you can sneak me in on the QT. And you have your fingers in a lot of pies. Places that might be able to figure out exactly what's going on with me. Places that'll figure it out without it getting back to the commissar immediately. He turned to face her soberly. I'm still in this fight, Bella. I can't let this take me away from it. Do you understand? Only too well. All right. Now, I know Yadviga's a psionic healer like me, and I assume she would already have tried that on you so we can eliminate that as a cure right now. She drummed her fingers on her knee, thinking fast, running through her options at Echo Medical. Thankfully, they were some of the first to get on her bandwagon, which meant they'd keep quiet and keep everything off the books. Are you free right now? She was a past master at running people through tests. Hell, most of the time the problem with running tests was not that the equipment wasn't free, but that the techs to run it weren't, and after the invasion and being short-handed, she was certified on most of it. I'm officially on leave for the rest of the week due to uh, injuries sustained. I was able to suss out an extra five days from Yadviga, considering, as opposed to the two that the commissar originally ordered. He grinned lopsidedly. Call it my uh, charming personality at work. Right. Then you sit there for a little while while I send some texts. Through Vicky, of course. She wasn't going to chance any of this going on the Echonet. She thought her thumbs were going to fall off when she was finished, but within a few more minutes the answers started to come in. Most of them were appended with, If you can run thee. She sighed. Looked like she was in for a long night. First thing, Johnny, she said, eyeballing him for size. We need to go borrow one of Bulwark's Echo uniforms. Three days of tests more tests, and in the end, a verdict that the patient was terminal. Now all she had for him was no hope and an armful of bottles to keep him going, keep his energy up and the mounting pain at bay. She wanted to break down and cry, but she was going to save that for when she was alone. She waited on the park bench with the bag at her feet, and wondered what he'd done to deserve this. Then the flash of borrowed memories shared what Sarah hit her 
and she knew what he'd done to have some bad, bad karma. Because not all of the people he'd turned to smoking ash in the rubble of that project of his had been guilty of anything other than working for the wrong people. Maybe not even most of them. And a good number of them had been victims. Just as he was. Frickin' karma, she said bitterly. She didn't know those people. She knew him. She didn't want to lose him, not only for herself, but for Sarah. Dear God, for Sarah. Still keeping my bench warm, Blue. John had slipped in dead quiet as always. He was way too good at that for Bella to be completely comfortable with it. Beats you setting fire to it. She sighed, felt her throat try to close, and blinked back tears fiercely. Here. These will keep you on your feet and fully active for as long as you have left. That's what I've got. That's all I've got. She handed him the bag. No point in making a soft sell. He shook the bag, then stuffed it into a cargo pocket on his pants. That's all she wrote? Um... Really buying the farm? No ifs, ands, or buts? You're unique. My mother said the same thing. He grinned. She also said I was an incorrigible brat and a pain in the ass. She wasn't a real doctor. And every second she wasted trying to be nice was a second he didn't have. I'm cutting to the chase, Johnny. Your powers are killing you. You can stretch things out longer by not using them, but... But you and I both know that I won't stop. That I can't stop so long as America, the world, and my new family have enemies out there, right? So long as the Thulians are looking to make this a world of ashes. Nothing short of a miracle is going to help you now, and nobody's handing me a halo. He nodded, sitting there silently for a long time. Children were playing in the park, swinging on swing sets, wrestling and chasing each other, and just generally being little kids. Happy kids. He spotted one pair playing with an action figure, clad in black and red, a CCCP uniform. He vaguely recognized the likeness it held, smiling. He thought it might be Perun. Then it settled. John stood up, hooking his thumbs into the belt of his pants. She held out a hand. Johnny, look, Echo isn't everything. Maybe Vicky can dig up some magic, or... He cut her off without any hardness in his voice. Echo's the best. And I know you already went to Vicky. If she couldn't find it on her first run, it probably isn't there. She's thorough like that. He sighed, then grinned at her as he turned to leave. You're a good friend, comrade kiddo. I'll see you around. And then, he was gone. She knew, of course. She had known from the moment that Yadviga told him, and she realized that if only she had thought about it, she should have known before that. Her heart, and being unable to see his futures, had hidden the truth from her. She grieved for him, for the pain he must endure, for his own fears, but not for him. She knew, how not, that death was just a transition, but he... 
he did not. He needed her. He would find her. This time in her sanctuary, not his, not the sun-trust tower where she could be seen, but a little stone bench in the quiet shelter of some trees that were as old as the city was, at the edge of a tiny cemetery. People often mistook her, those that could see her, for a statue. He needed her, thus he would find her. And he did. He was surprised to see her when he wandered onto the edge of the cemetery. His surprise passed quickly, and he slowly made his way over to her. The same reserve and practiced calm as he had evidenced for Bella, all of it stretched over a writhing mass of fear and despair. He was scared, and she could feel every nuance of it. Evening, Sarah. Folk around here started dancing yet? She looked at him in puzzlement for a moment, until her mind sorted through all the possible meanings and settled on the most likely for him. No one has played the proper music, she replied, moving over on the bench in unspoken invitation and making herself look as human as possible. The strange and bitter irony of this meeting being in a graveyard was not lost on her. What's a gal like you doing in a joint like this at this hour? It is quiet. I can rest. I am not entirely immaterial. I need not eat, drink, or sleep, but I do need rest. I can rest here. He chuckled. There was darkness behind his mirth. You and a lot of other folks. Got time for talking. She regarded him, unblinking. I would make time, even if I had it not, John. Yeah, I suppose you could. He rubbed his arms against the cold and sat down next to a headstone in front of her. Weird how things turn out, isn't it? I hope you are not contemplating destiny, John. There is no such thing. The future is mutable. She bit her lip. Futures. I see many. Many. I have told you, it is what I do. No, nothing like that. I just meant like the location and whatnot. Angel in a church graveyard. And me here talking with you. Just weird how everything plays out eventually. Irony is a cast iron bitch. He steepled his fingers, resting his elbows on his knees. So... Do you know why I'm here to talk to you? She closed her eyes for a moment as his pain washed over her. She already knew the answer to the question she would have asked. May I heal him? The answer to that was, It is not permitted. She did not know why. But that she would obey was the difference between a sibling and a fallen. She would obey because she had trust, but this, this hurt, hurt that she could not save him this. Yes, but you must also tell me, there are reasons for this. Then 
I'll just say it. I'm dying. It's because of how my powers work. My natural ones, that is. And there's nothing that anyone knows to do about it. He visibly shook. It was the first time she had seen him like this. He'd been consumed with anger, regret, purpose, and duty for so long. But this was fear, naked and unadulterated. I think I'm okay with it. What do you think? I think... You are afraid. A tear formed at the corner of her eye and fell. I think I am sorry for your fear and grieving with you. And I think, I think this is too much pain for you to bear alone. He remained silent and another tear slid down her cheek. Her voice remained steady. She didn't think he realized she was weeping for him. But she could scarcely believe how little time had passed, and how much had changed between this meeting and the last. Tears instead of smiles, grief and fear instead of laughter. What will you do now? That's the question, isn't it? He sat there staring at his hands for several long moments. I figure there's only one thing I can do. Keep fighting. People need for me to be there. The CCCP, my neighborhood, everyone. There's nothing I can do about dying. But I can make my time here count for something. I can make the Thulians pay dearly for my life if that's what it takes to keep them from winning. His answer was unexpected and not unexpected. It would not have been out of the question for him to say he was going away somewhere, for him to crawl off to a lonely place to die. It could have been one of his futures. In fact, now that he had said what he had said, she could see it, even as that future closed off. See him wandering somewhere cold and snow-clad, lying down and never getting up again. There were so many of his futures that had ended that way. More of them than she had any notion of. Perhaps if she had known, she would have already have given up, because so few led to this moment. And only this moment gave way to the great blank spot, on the other side of which was hope. But he had changed. Changed profoundly. This was merely the signal point of that change. Tears continued to follow one another. She could not stop them and did not want to. She had wept for humans before, but this was different. John was... so much to her. Things had progressed between them far, far past the love of mere friends. There was no one she was emotionally closer to, not even Bella. The Seraphs had emotions, of course, but they were nothing so immediate. Tentatively, she reached out to him, stopping just short of touching him. John, she faltered. Yes, Sarah. There was pain in his voice, but he was able to bring himself to look at her. How did humans bear such pain? 
How can I help you? She faltered again. It is not permitted me to heal you. I wish that it was. But you are my friend. Tell me how I may help you. He thought for a moment. Don't suppose you could turn time back about a decade, could you? She shook her head, and a tear splashed on her hand. If I could. The past cannot be changed, only the futures. She paused. I am only permitted to do small, very, very small things. Greater things require a miracle, and for a miracle one must sacrifice something equally miraculous. She sighed. That is the only loophole in the law of free will. And I would sacrifice anything if I knew it would help you. It's all right. I wasn't holding out too much hope for turning back the clock. He leaned forward, rubbing the back of his head. She could see past his outer self, see the drugs coursing through his veins, helping to keep him conscious and alive. He was tired, spent, but he was still continuing forward. He'd set his mind to a course of action, and he would not be deterred. I can grant you a little more strength. I wouldn't turn you down for it. There are bad guys that need killing still. He removed the glove off of his hand, the one with the Ouroboros tattoo, and held it out for her. He'd lost his aversion to contact with her what seemed like so long ago, with their first kiss, along with his unwillingness to look at her for more than a moment. She touched the back of his hand with a careful finger, and allowed the strength and grace to flow from her into him. And if other things came with it, so be it. She would not hide that she cared deeply for him. He sighed, and some of the color returned to his face. He seemed stronger, less drawn, more substantial. I suppose I just need you to keep being there. For the neighborhood, for the CCCP. For me. He looked at her solemnly. It's gonna get a lot worse before it gets any better, you know. For everyone. He had no idea how much worse. She sought for permission, and found it. There are very, very few futures in which does become better, John. Most end in a very bad place, so bad that even the infinite, which does not interfere, has placed me here to do what I may. So, yes, I know. John shook his head. I don't need to hear that, Sarah. Really and truly. She tilted her head to the side in that bird-like way she had. You are thinking. You know I cannot see your thoughts unless you allow it. 
What are you thinking? He frowned, his brows knitting together. It's not exactly all that easy to put into words now that you ask. He was quiet for several moments, collecting his thoughts. It's kind of like this, I figure it. From when I was young, my old man had always told me that just because I was me, if I put my mind to it, I was a cut above the rest, and that I had to strive to make sure I made the most of the potential I had, that anybody had. So long as you put your mind to it, you couldn't be stopped. That's what he thought. John's eyes scanned the ground as he nudged some leaves out of the way with his boot. That got reinforced big time when I was in the Rangers, then Delta. I literally was one of the best out there for what I did. Cultivating a never-say-die attitude was a big part of being able to make it and keep up with everyone else. It's as much a part of me as anything now. She could not read him as she could read others, but she knew him now perhaps better than anyone else but Bella. Perhaps better than Bella. There is much you are not saying. He flashed a smile. You using your voodoo on me, Sarah? There was something different in his voice when he said her name this time. Something unguarded that was familiar to her, but she couldn't immediately recognize. You know I cannot unless you allow it. She regarded him gravely. And I will go only so far as you allow without reservation. No. This is only knowing you. Well, being brought up like that, having that indomitable, unstoppable attitude ingrained in me, it's making all of this really hard. I've been taught that with the proper application of force, you can get through anything. Obstacles are the only things I haven't torn through yet, that sort of thing. This is one problem that I have that I can't just will myself through. I'm scared shitless, actually. Because even though I know what I'm going to do... I just don't know if I can. She ached for him. Her heart cried out for him. No one ever does. The worst thing for me in the world is to let my friends down. I can't let myself do that. I need to keep going. There was a lot of pain in his voice now. He was being extremely open with her. It was different from just allowing her to read his memories. This was willful, open admittance of his worst fears. She clasped her hands tightly in her lap. John, if you fear what comes beyond... John, do you believe in me? Believe at last that... I am what I am? At least that fear she could take from him. He grinned lopsidedly, again, 
That grin, such a very characteristic and personal trait that he possessed. You convinced me of that a while ago, Sarah. Now, it's just that I'm afraid of losing. Letting people that depend on me down. And losing people. No one would ever think that of you, she replied forcefully. Not that you willfully let them down. This was not something you wanted or planned. This just happened. And if you fear that others will turn from you... She swallowed. There was a strange and painful lump in her throat that she had never had before. She blinked back more tears. I will never leave you. I will never desert you. I will... She could not continue strangely. Words deserted her. She looked up into his eyes, pleading with him to understand. Their gazes met, and she felt a sudden sense of shock. There was something unspoken and momentous there. She went very still, waiting. She did not know for what, she only knew it would change everything, and that it was something only he could say. John was looking directly at her now, and what he saw was both the human form she sometimes adopted around him to put him at his ease, and something he had only glimpsed in the briefest of moments, never for long. The seraphim, a creature all fire and spirit, a slender thing of light with wings of fire and glowing, bottomless eyes full of clear, pure power that looked past the surface of everything and into infinity. And those eyes were riveted on his, reflecting his pain and fear. And in those eyes, he saw a pain that mirrored his own, that was all hers. He spoke slowly, measuring his words and letting them roll around in his mouth. I'm here for you too, Angel. For every moment. I have left. If you'll have me, Sarah. For a moment, understanding deserted her. If she would have him, what? And then, with a shock as great as the moment she had immersed herself into this world and had become incarnate, she understood. He was offering himself to her. That was what she had seen and not recognized until this moment. He loved her, loved her as a human and mortal man, loved her as if she was as human and mortal as he, and she knew how much that cost him, how hard it had been to open himself again, to permit himself to care and to love, and more, to admit it. Yes, they had been kissing, touching, but until now she had not considered it as anything nearly as deep as what he had just offered. Eros, without deeper commitment, at least on his part, something he had needed as part of the way to break down the walls between him and the rest of the world. This was so much more. This was all of him, given with the knowledge and fear of possible rejection, to her. Sacrifice on his part, of everything that had kept him apart from another for so many long years, now, at the last, he had bid to open himself, 
rather than close himself away, fighting his own instincts to do so. Oh, my love, she whispered, still reeling from the impact of it. And that was when she understood at last what had been in her own heart. He loved her, and she, she loved him. The seraphim were the embodiment of the love of the infinite for all of creation, and reflected back that love to the infinite. It was a boundless love, and yet, yet it was to this very human love as the countless memories of taste and touch were to actually tasting, actually touching. The love of the seraphim was more, and yet, somehow less. It had no immediacy. It was less real for that. She could not breathe for joy. My dearest. My beloved. John didn't speak. Instead, he leaned close, pulling her hand into his hands. He rested his brow on hers, sighing in relief. He was still very tired, but she could see that he had responded in the way that he had hoped. She was swimming in a sea of very human emotions, experiencing them for the first time directly. There was shock, the most incredible elation, wonder that such a thing could happen to her, such a gift be given for them to share. The question, is this permitted, was answered immediately with, Love is always permitted which only doubled her joy. And then came grief. This amazing, wondrous miracle that had grown between them was a flower that was, all too quickly, going to be cut and wither. His last days would be spent in terrible pain. She and Bella could ease that to some extent, but not altogether, and it would be worse at the end. But of all things, the worst was this. A soul went to the afterlife it expected and believed in, and John Murdoch, for all that he professed belief in her, truly expected only oblivion. If he died and sealed himself in a sort of self-created shale of nothingness, he would never win freedom again. That was unacceptable. For both their sakes, she must help him in ways he could not even imagine at this moment, ways that she could hardly imagine herself. I will help you, beloved, in everything. She took the hand he had given her and held it to her wet cheek. Whatever I have shall be yours. She did not know what else to do, but he did. He took her in his arms and bent his head. She raised her face to his, and they kissed, and for as long as that kiss lasted, there was nothing else that mattered. They sat together, embraced and embracing, until long after darkness fell, as her light burned defiance against the shadows. You have been listening to Season 7 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer. 
Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin MacLeod, available at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the amazing people at Bayon Books. Follow the series at www.secretworldchronicle.com. Join us on Facebook and check out the authors on Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening.